Hi, I'm Becky. And I'm Haley. And this is How to Not Get Killed. Just recording an episode with you. Oh, okay. Same. Same. <laughs> same. 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 Yeah. What a coincidence. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We didn't even plan that. No, we didn't. We didn't plan it at all. It just kind of happened. We just like end up, we just poof and then we're here. Yeah. We're just, it, that's just how it's going. Wouldn't that be nice though? Honestly, you didn't have to like drive down and you know, you could just like yeah. teleport here. You're just like poof. We're going to record yeah. an episode. I think that the keynote there is the teleportation because yeah. otherwise we could do it online. I just don't know how people are doing that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I know it's like it's probably such a simple concept, but for some reason I'm just like, no, 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 no way, no, that's complicated. I can't do that. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's pro- uh, someone it's let mine. us know if we're missing something. Yeah, like, is there like an easier way to do this? <laughs> I'm kidding. What I, an interesting way to start the podcast. <laughs> I, and this was are like, we I, making our lives difficult? You know what? No, we're not because I like coming here. I like visiting. I get to sleep over usually. I'm not tonight, but I usually get to sleep over. So I love coming to Haley's house. Plus, we also just got these awesome pictures mm-hmm. for, for our studio. We're going to, once we have everything fully set up and decorated, we will show you guys. Oh, of course. But we yeah. haven't because right now it's very, we've got exercise mats beside us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to absorb the sound. <laughs> just a little bit of a, a work in progress. Yeah. Makeshift, you know. Yeah, we're we're doing we're doing what we what we can. We'll get it settled. It's yeah, but we can't wait to show you guys the pictures. We're oh very, my gosh, yeah, yeah. we got like the most amazing prints. I just I'm looking again. I love them so much. Oh, they're so good. Oh, so good. Anyways, what where what are we talking about? What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. It's my case this week. It is. It is my case. That it is. You do you want me to just give you the notes and you do it? What if we did that? No, I don't think I could handle that. Actually, let's do it. Let's, no, let's do it. No, no, I don't want to. We'll each pick, <laughs> we'll pick like, maybe like a paranormal one, something that's like easy if we mess it up, or we're not like insulting anybody. Sure, that's true, actually. Yeah, you know, because I would sure. hate to like pass you like somebody's very delicate murder case and be like, no, no, here you go, yeah. jump in blind. Because <laughs> yeah, that, and then we'd end up hurting someone's feelings or something, but. I feel like a paranormal one. We could both find yeah, a good yeah. paranormal one and then be like, here's the details. Just yeah, write the script for each other. We could do that. I'm writing this idea down right now. This is Cause, cause interesting. I'm I wonder how this is going to go. What if it just goes exactly the same as, as it normally would? How well, anticlimactic then, would that, that would, be? That would suck. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I think uh, we'll it would still out. be fun. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to write it down. Trade notes. That's what I'm writing down as my note for us. Okay, let's just get into it. Let's just do this. I don't think we have anything to update. No, I don't think so. Yeah, no. All right, we're doing it. So this week we're covering the murder of Eliza Sherman. Um, it's it's still classified as unsolved. Um, investigators are still working on it, so I'm just giving you that up front. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'm just going to do like a brief little background, like a short one on Eliza. So Eliza was a 53-year-old woman living in Cleveland, Ohio area, mainly Beachwood. I think it's just like a suburb outside of Cleveland. Okay. Um, she worked as an in vitro nurse at the Cleveland Clinic. She had dedicated her entire career to helping other people start their families. Um, this kind of stemmed from her 
basically loving her family so, so much um, and has like such strong ties and roots with her family and her parents and connections that she just believed everyone should have access to that right and helped people start their families. It's beautiful. It's very admirable. Yeah. 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 So um, Aliza's brother, Edward. Yeah. I make sure I wrote his name down. Edward. Hi. I thought initially when I wrote his name down, I thought I wrote Edmund and I was like, that's not correct. <laughs> so can't have that. But Aliza's brother talks in the documentary about how their parents actually survived the Holocaust. Oh, wow. Um, of course they had like along the way lost a lot of family and friends, but the, the pair of them, they had met in a displacement camp just after the war and they bonded over surviving that horrible, horrible experience. Yeah. Um, they quickly got on a boat and made their way to Cleveland, Ohio to start a new life. Wow. That's wild. What like, a story. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I Yeah. Every time I hear that somebody has survived the Holocaust and then just, like, came here and started over completely fresh, I my mind is blown. Yeah. Like, that could be the end of the story here. And I'm just like, well, that's that's a whole separate case in itself where it's just like, yeah. oh, my God, that's what a what a story to have. Like, Absolutely. Wow. Um, Eliza was actually named after her maternal grandmother to carry on her legacy as Eliza's grandparents were also killed in the Holocaust. Oh, so okay. having that kind of like legacy shared through her was just absolutely beautiful and gave her that extra strong tie to her family. So Eliza marries a man named Sanford Sherman, whose parents also survived the Holocaust. So right away when they met, they bonded over shared history, shared family trauma, like yeah, a lot in common there, really. Absolutely, yeah. And I feel like it's rare to find somebody else that, like, obviously a lot of people do have this story, but, like, everyone's kind of spread out all over. So well, it's especially hard to... when you, like, get on a boat and, like, come to an entirely new continent. Exactly. That, yeah, I would say it's relatively rare to meet someone with, like, such a close family history. Yeah, exactly. And shared experience, yeah. Yeah, so they kind of bonded over that, and I think that's what, like, initially helped them fall in love was that they just had a lot in common. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, everyone kind of just notes how Elisa's life always had the appearance of being that, like, classic picture perfect life like great family nice house in the suburbs great job like a well-respected job at that like mm -hmm. all of it um Eliza does have children i don't name them in the episode at all however now in present day elise Eliza's daughter is very outspoken about the case and trying to spread the word um you can just look that up. I still sometimes just like to leave their names out of it in case they don't want to be included on our podcast. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty much sure. it. So let's get into it. The story for Eliza's case begins June twentieth of twenty eleven, roughly about two years before her murder. So after about thirty years of marriage to um, Sanford, Eliza files for divorce. Oh, okay. She really struggled with this decision her friends all talk about in the documentary this wasn't one that just kind of like came out of came out of a whim or anything like that she had lots of discussions with like her siblings her friends everything like anyone she could talk to that would help her with like guidance and whatnot she did she's quoted as saying things like if my parents can make it through the holocaust i can make i can live through this mm -hmm. so there were a lot of debates on like whether or not she should stay in the marriage or not but Ultimately decided it's for the best if they split. Okay. 
Her brother Edward notes early in the documentary that they may not have always been the perfect people for one another and that although they were good in the beginning, they were just there was just always a degree of tension was the word that he used. So it kind of sounded like they had a lot in common, they got a well, they got along well in the beginning, but weren't entirely compatible. Okay. Okay. Which I mean, we've seen a lot of couples like that where it, and it could be that like they're shared like family history was what drew them to each other and they were thinking like maybe this means we have a lot in common and like we will be compatible and mm -hmm. then as the years go on you realize like well aside from that we don't have a lot in common or we're not as compatible as we thought we were yeah. like that absolutely could have happened exactly right? yeah um so the negotiations of the divorce actually dragged on for about two years which anyone who's gone through a divorce or watched their parents go through a divorce or friends go through a divorce they can take that long but like mm -hmm. usually it's wrapped up like in a year if like everything's sort of like even when if it's like a bumpy road it's still like usually yeah. about a year like two years it's not unheard of it's ju just exhausting well, longer than you want it to go on let's yeah. put it that way like that's just exhausting yeah. for everybody involved yeah. like that that's very especially when you just want out yeah yeah it absolutely. should be that simple like i think filing for divorce should just be like that's it <laughs> it's happening. No, we don't need to drag this out. Just decide, you know? Yeah. So by the third week of March 2013, this is now two years after the initial filing of the divorce, um, Aliza had only a few days before her final court date. She was noted as being like really excited to have everything all wrapped up. Like this has been like a stressor mm -hmm. for a while. Um, talking about turning a new leaf, like texting her her brother, like I'm starting a new life. Like just very, very excited and looking forward to future exciting things to come her way. Yeah. I mean, I would be too if I was leaving a marriage that I thought was bad and I was about to get a new lease on life. Yeah. Like Absolutely. she had every right to be <laughs> excited. excited. Yeah. Of course. Of course. So, <clears throat> Sunday, March 24th of 2013. Uh, this is just two days before her final divorce hearing. Like, the like this is, that was the end date. So, this is a Sunday. So, it would have been like Tuesday the 26th or whatever. She tells her one son that she's heading out to run a few errands and will be, will be back home early with pizza for dinner. The errand, as it turns out, according to like the brother and um, a few friends of... Aliza's was that um, she was actually meeting with her divorce attorney, Gregory Moore. Okay. Gregory, I guess, had urgently asked her to come to the office in downtown uh, Cleveland to go over the final details that was set to happen in two days. This would be like details finalizing the divorce. The meeting had been pushed back twice that day. It was supposed to be like mid-morning, early afternoon at first. Then it got moved to the afternoon. And then again, even later on in the afternoon, pushing the appointment officially to 5 p.m. Okay. Okay. So she shows up at her lawyer's office. She wasn't able to get into the building. The main lobby doors were, like, locked. So you couldn't actually get through, I think, probably because it was a Sunday, first of all. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, so she texted Gregory saying, like, I can't get in. The doors are locked. He responds and says he'll come right down and get her. So she huddles into just like this doorway vestibule type thing. Um, like, you know, when there's like an overhang. Yeah. Over, yeah. Just yeah. like that. Um, where was I? It Like, it's noted that it was like a particularly cold day. It's also Cleveland in mid-March. Like, temperature-wise, it's a lot like here. Okay. Um, just kind of like, I don't know. We've had marches. Like, I mean, currently, right now, it's March and it's pretty cold. 
I was going to say, it's like we've got, like, snow on the ground. It's yeah. freezing. Um, yeah. And then we've had, like, spurts of warm weather. But usually I would say March, like, f- here we know f- it to be cold, rainy, snowy. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So it was it was a cold day. She was mm-hmm. just, like, huddled in there, like, trying to keep warm, like, bundled up kind of thing. Um, it, it got noted a lot, too. And it, I guess it is important, like, when it comes to, like, witnesses and stuff. But it was noted that, I guess... For downtown Cleveland on a Sunday, it was, it's basically just a ghost town. Okay. And you do see this on some of the surveillance footage later, like really not a lot of cars, not a lot of people walking around, just kind of empty streets. Okay. So I was like, okay, all right. Fair enough. Because when I heard that, I was like, really? Because like any city I live in, like usually Sundays are like hustling and bustling because people are like going to different shops and stuff. Doing things, running errands, like, yeah. But, yeah. yeah, And And it's also like Cleveland, like to me, like that's a big city. To me, it sounds like like a big, I'm like, oh, it should have been like popping. Yeah. (laughs) Cleveland's not popping on a Sunday afternoon, guys. What are you doing? Maybe it's popping on (laughs) Saturdays only. (laughs) Mid-March on a cold, crusty day. (laughs) Why isn't everybody out? Enjoy the sun (laughs) on the beach. But that wasn't the case. It was cold and crappy and no one was around. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so she's just kind of waiting for Gregory at this point. Meanwhile, few hours have now gone by. Her family's expecting her home for dinner. With the pizza. With the pizza. Yeah. Like she had explicitly told her son she'd be home, and I quote, early. Yep. With pizza for dinner. And it was starting to get pretty late. No one's heard from her in hours. That's unlike her. That Like behavior-wise, she would at least message or call and say, I'm running late. Like and either you, start yeah. cooking something or Anybody just would, right? Especially when you know everybody's at home waiting for you with pizza. Like you. Yeah. You you're the, the pizza, pizza bringer. You're the pizza bringer. So They're you're all the, you're like the waiting. MVP of the day. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the most valuable pizza bringer. <laughs> but so no one's heard from her in hours. No messages saying I'm running late or anything like that. So her brother Edward, the one that talks out in the documentary quite a bit, um, starts messaging saying, hey, where are you? Everyone was expecting you home and such and such. Like, yeah. starting to get concerned. Then at 9 p.m., the family receives a call from the police asking them to gather the whole family and that the police will meet them at the house. The police arrived shortly after the call and the family's all gathered. Like, I think it was her siblings, her children, and somebody else. They didn't, like, give, like, a full detailed list of everybody that was called to this meeting, but it was her family and most important people in her life. So they delivered the news that Elisa was violently attacked outside of her lawyer's office building. Oh, my gosh. They explained to the family what had happened. She was standing in the doorway vestibule area, still waiting to get into the building, when someone came from around the building, attacked her right in the doorway area, in the street, broad broad daylight, and quickly fled the scene. She was stabbed 11 times. Holy shit. She had mo- multiple wounds on, like, her, like, stomach area and back, her ear, her hands... Um, it's noted that she looked like she had definitely fought back as hard as humanly possible. So she, mm. she gave it her all. Like, she really, really tried to fight. Um, a man in a building across from where they were hears her screams. Um, so he rushes out because he's trying to find who's screaming like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he finds Elisa laying there. Um, it's said that, like, he she was saying something to the man, like, mumbling, trying to get words out to him likely incoherent words because Mm -hmm. she was just 
viciously attacked. He couldn't make out the words. Um, he wasn't in the documentary, but her friend relays this message that, like, it sounded like she was trying to tell him something. Yeah. Like, a important piece of information, but nothing has ever come from it because it was just nothing was coherent at all. Um, but he does call 911, and Eliza was right away, like, within minutes, taken to Metro Health Medical Center. But at 6.14 p.m., she was pronounced dead in the emergency room. So the family finds that out, and they're in utter shock. Yeah, you would be. So immediately, right away on the scene, extensive searches were conducted of the area to look for witnesses, the murder weapon, or really any kind of clues, hints, or details that could like help in leading to an arrest. The knife was never recovered. Okay. Blood evidence from the scene gave a lot of hope to the investigators that since there was such a mass amount of it, that some of it might belong to the killer. Yeah. Because that happens a lot. Yep. Especially since she fought back so hard. That she could have cut him or something, yeah. Exactly. But all of the DNA results, unfortunately, came back as Elisa's only. Shoot. So in the immediate aftermath of hearing the news, Elisa's family and friends were, like I said, in utter shock and disbelief. And they were, like, entirely besides themselves. They're noted as going to group therapy, like, almost right away together, consoling each other, really just banding together and trying mainly to understand the why. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's playing a huge role to their shock was more so, like, the why behind the crime. None of her family or friends could think of, like, a single reason why somebody would want to do this to Elisa, who would want to hurt her. Yeah. I mean... Is there any sort of family members that are talking about at this point? Like, was it, were they thinking that it is possible that this was like a random violent attack or did they feel like there was a reason for it? So there's a theory. So I'm going to get into what the the obvious theory is. Okay. And this is what the family and yep. friends think. There's also other theories that I think are a little less likely, but we'll get to that. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Because I I just don't know how violent of a city like Cleveland is. You know what I mean? There's many cities that, like, you hear about that are violent, but, like, uh, we don't, again, like, I don't know, not having lived there or at least not even being, like, living in the States. I don't know, like, which, you know what I mean? So I'm like, is it, like, a very high crime area? You know? I don't know. Yeah. I would, I feel like my assumption is no, only because usually in cases like that, if that is the case, it's normally said, like, Oh, it wasn't suspicious because it happens all the time. Like it's it and, usually and again, like family that. members and stuff usually say like, "Oh, it was a rough area of town." Like they know the area, yeah. So like, yeah, that would yeah. probably have been mentioned. It, and it and it wasn't at all. Which okay. so which leads me to think like one of the two things is that it's either the obvious theory that everybody is kind of agreeant upon, or it's a random attack with some kind of motive behind mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But then that's also the big question of why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while the family's going through the motions and trying to understand and navigate their grief, the police get their hands on surveillance footage from outside the building. You can find this footage in the documentary Still a Mystery on Discovery+. Plus. This is the one I'm talking about. Um, But just note that the actual part of the video footage that shows the murder has obviously not been released out of respect for Elisa and her family's wishes. Of course. So... In this footage, you can fully see the assailant walking up as well as literally running from the scene after. So it's shown, like, the coming and then the going. Okay. Okay. Now, obviously, 
before you even ask, yes, of course, this is the grainiest pixelated mess you're ever going to see. Like, it's not like, it's not clear, right? Mm -hmm. You literally cannot see any kind of a face whatsoever. Like, you can't even see, like, a skin tone. So you can't determine whether, like, his face is covered or not? It's covered. It's covered, okay. It looks like there's, like, almost a cloth over it. Like, there's a hood. You can check if you want. Like Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. But, yeah, I wasn't sure if it's, like, you. there is a face, but it's just too pixelated, or it's, like, is he wearing, like, a a balaclava or something? You know what I mean? So It it looks like they're definitely wearing something black under the hood, Mm -hmm. or the hood was just so pulled out so far enough that it cast the right amount of shadow. Shadow, yeah, for sure. Um, or they have something like like a scarf or something pulled up over their exactly. like, mouth and, and then glasses. nose, right? So yeah. yeah. So this person is wearing what looks like loose jeans, a baggy zip-up dark hoodie, black gloves. Like they're fully covered. Okay. Fully covered. You can also hardly make out whether or not it's a man or a woman. Like yeah, well, yeah. With baggy clothes, it would be hard to tell, right? Yeah. So. I'll I'll add it in here. I think maybe I might bring it up again later. I can't remember what's in my notes now. But um, there's speculation online. A lot of people, when they watch the video, think it's a woman. Okay. When I saw the footage before reading that people thought it was a woman, I also thought it was a woman. And then I was like, oh, other people are seeing it. Okay. It's just something about the stature that looks like it. That's I think that's what confuses a lot of people about this case is like... When you read it and hear about it, it sounds very much that it must be one person, and we're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. But then the second you look at this footage and you think it looks like it might be a woman, it confuses you. Okay. I think, honestly, I think the run even looks feminine, in my opinion, and I don't mean that in, like, an insulting way, obviously, never. I Like, just when I saw this person run, it reminded me of how I run. Okay. That's that's why I thought that. I just wanted mm-hmm. that to be like noted. Like I don't I'm not out here like, oh you run like a girl kind of thing. I'm like, no, no it just looked like the way a woman would run, okay. even at full speed. Okay. So, um Ed Tumba Tomba, I can't I don't remember how he pronounced his last name, but he's the deputy police chief. He notes that um they did have the video enhanced on their end. They noted that the assailant was moving pretty quickly and looked like they intentionally snuck up to surprise Eliza, like it looked intentional in their reviewing of the parts that aren't released. Okay. It's also noted that the assailant didn't try to take anything from Elisa. Yeah, that was going to be my other question. Like, right when you yeah. you told, like, uh, you narrated, like, about the attack, that was my first thought. It's like, did they take something? Like, is this a random attack and it's a robbery? Or so that's not? Because the... if they didn't take anything, what is the motivation Not there? a wallet, phone, cash, Jewelry, purse, nothing like that. Yeah. Nothing was taken. That does... Not even an attempt was made. It does tend to feel like she was targeted then, in a way, right? That's that's what people are thinking, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So this this is what... Like, that detail alone is what makes Elisa's family believe even further that this must have been intentional. They just don't know why. Because she wasn't somebody that harmed people, went out of her way to make anybody's lives difficult. She was a good person. Yeah, like, didn't have a lot of, like, enemies, you know, in particular. Just doesn't sound like the kind of person that would. Yeah. So, in the weeks leading up to her murder, this is when, in the documentary, friends and family start talking about this time that she was going through. It's noted that in these few weeks, maybe, like, a month or two leading up to her murder... Elisa's life was filled with just a little bit more menace than usual. 
Like, she's lived a very regular life, but up until just right before her murder, there were a few instances that had everyone she knew scratching their head. Okay. So, there was an incident where a brick or heavy ball, they, like, her brother couldn't recall if it was a brick or if it was, like, this really, like, almost like a weighted ball type thing, Mm -hmm. was thrown through her car window. Oh, okay. Another incident where she... malicious. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like... Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Like, he couldn't remember if it was a brick or a ball. Both are malicious, but I'm thinking if I see a brick through my window, that's a fucking sign. Oh, yeah. And and even, like, um, something being thrown through your window, I think it feels a little bit more malicious to me. Because if someone's going to, like, try and break into your car, they'll usually, like, hit it with a tire iron or something like that. And, like, break it with something that they're then, like, taking with them. Instead of, like, I'm going to throw this object through your window and, like, leave it there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that it just feels different mm-hmm. to me. So, yeah, especially a brick, right? I just feel like there's so many connotations. Like, someone threw a brick through your window. It's like, you know, you should be scared. Yeah. It feels aggressive. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So then this other one. Another incident where she went to go reverse out of her driveway and found that there were two nails punctured perfectly through both of her back tires in identical spots. Yeah, that's... That one's... Scary. Her friend, her friend Jan, who's like noted as being her best friend, talks about it in the documentary where she was like, if it was one nail, oopsie. Mm -hmm. If it's two nails, that kind of feels a little bit intentional. Like we really wanted her tires to blow out. Yeah. And like any of these incidents in isolation. Okay. That's weird. But both of the, like, like the pattern of behavior, you know what I mean? Where it's like, I would, I would start to feel like I'm being targeted. Yeah. For sure. Like, the brick and then the nails and the two nails. Two nails. So, like, even just those two alone, I'd be like, someone's out for me. Absolutely. Right? So, I have, like, a bubble in my throat. It's going to come out whenever. (laughs) There it is. I felt it. I was just like, (laughs) I'm going to give a warning now because it's going to either ruin a sentence or... It does what it wants. It just has a mind. So, (laughs) then roughly 2012, I don't know when, what month, but her brother recalls that she had received... What was noted by by Edward as a threatening electronic message at work. And he didn't know who it was from or anything like that. And Elisa even tried to find out who it came from at her work and couldn't. Um, he didn't say what the message was, of course, just that it was a threatening one. I don't know okay. what, though. Like, if it was like, I'm going to get you or, you know, watch out or something like that. Yeah, just watch your back. Like, some kind yeah. of message that felt threatening. Okay, it's very scary. That is scary. I think that happened before the brick and nails because I believe in the timeline. They didn't say like a date of when these things happened, Mm -hmm. but um, it was mentioned that like the two, the first two things kind of happened leading up to her murder, and then the message was in 2012. So like at at most a year prior, at most. Okay. So her her friend um, Jan again talks. Uh, about Elisa being very nervous and jittery for a, a while because of, like, those two things and the, like, threatening message she got and how Elisa said that she felt like things were starting to happen to her that just didn't happen to others. Yeah. Well, yeah, again, you would start yeah. to feel like, okay, one of these things yeah. is maybe explainable, but but then two and then three, like... Any normal person would be like, okay, one, this isn't normal. This doesn't happen to everyone. So I'm feeling targeted. I'm getting anxious. I'm feeling scared. Like, 
is something worse going to happen? Like, yeah, any normal person would be feeling that so way. That's kind of how she was feeling was very just like, I, I feel like some someone's out out to get me. Yeah. And I don't know why. Like, she she didn't know why. She tried even, like, doing some self-reflection of being like, am did, I deserving of this? Like, did I do something no. to someone? Like, yeah, that they're, no. like, by, following by me? all accounts, she's done nothing. Yeah. Nobody deserves this anyways, regardless of what they do or don't do. But she certainly did not deserve this. Like, yeah. she didn't harm anybody. So, now we're going to talk about two months after her murder. Okay. So... Don't worry, all of these things start tying back in together. So, on the two-month anniversary of Elisa's murder, Elisa's daughter really rocks the boat of the case and files a civil lawsuit against her own father and mother's husband, Sanford Sherman. Oh. The civil lawsuit was basically accusing him of stealing or concealing money from Elisa. The the lawsuit revealed that more than two months before Eliza's murder, she had actually Eliza she had actually hired a forensic accountant to investigate their finances. This forensic accountant uh, discovered that Sanford may have concealed more than two million dollars from her. Holy! The transcript from this lawsuit reveals that, and I quote: Sanford was rampaged apparently. He had a very, very hostile temper towards Elisa. Just in general? Or like... I think in relation to the divorce okay, okay. process. Yeah, fair enough. But also potentially just in general because the divorce is happening for a reason. So he might have very well been rampaged for a long time prior to the divorce being filed for it's yeah i feel like the word rampage in particular is yeah. not something that like is used to describe someone like on a su- daily basis suddenly yeah you know what i mean i feel like you got to have some anger issues if like yeah. you're now like so extremely angry i understand divorce is like a uh circumstance that brings up a lot of like emotions in people yeah but i just feel like i don't know if you're not an angry person in general then like to get overly angry during something like this probably would be a little bit out of character. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Like docile people don't just turn into like rampaging. No. You know what I mean? It's like, you're always, that was always there a little bit. You know what I mean? Some people get sad. Some people get angry. Like some, you know, so. No, I I completely agree. And I think too, it, it goes further back than, than what we think. So it it's also revealed that the couple had fought constantly, I guess, about money. This was like their, I don't know, their hot topic where if money was brought up, they were fighting. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's a common thing that couples fight about. But especially if you're suspecting that your your partner has like basically been hiding and like stealing money from stealing and like i don't i don't know what his work situation was like but like when you're in a marriage like most people do a sort of like consider your finances like collective collective yeah or just at least unless you have some sort of alternate agreement which it sounds like they didn't yeah so during the the lawsuit here they're starting to find out more things because basically elisa's daughter like brings forward all these like findings Mm -hmm. thankfully the it's it's noted in these findings as well that the police these were the beechwood police though they were often called to their home about loud arguments 
So this is why it kind of went undetected at first from the Cleveland PD that were investigating her murder because they didn't really right away have access to their files. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then it's revealed that prior to the divorce, which keep in mind the divorce process began two years prior to her murder. Mm -hmm. But so before that, Elisa had actually opted to move into a separate bedroom in their household apart from Sanford and then added her own bolt lock on her door. Oh, well, that's yeah. not... You shouldn't have to do that. No. No. That's really upsetting. Yes. To think about what might have been going on. Yeah. Um, it's noted that over a span of several years, it didn't say exactly when, um, police had shown up to the Sherman household at least 15 times because of loud arguments. Okay. Yeah. So I know where your mind is going, and it's likely in the correct place. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. 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 So one report dated in 2011, again, two years prior to the murder, um, quotes Eliza as saying that Sanford threatened me, threatened that he was going to get me. Sorry, I worded that wrong. Okay. And that she does not feel safe with Sanford in the home. So I think their arguing had got so bad mm-hmm. that she was now fearing for her safety. Yeah, it sounds like it's it's gotten violent. Whether yeah. that's verbally or physically, it's gotten yeah. violent. That's what it sounds like. And again, like the note on that report, like, sorry, the date on that report to me says that was probably the incident that sparked the final, I'm going to do the divorce. Yeah. So now because the murder took place and it was the Cleveland PD covering the department that, that, um... Oh, I just skipped a whole line. Yeah. My bad. Let me start that over again. <laughs> because the murder took place that was in Cleveland, like downtown, it was Cleveland PD covering the case. They ended up contacting the Beechwood Department. That's the department that covers the family's homes, like jurisdiction. Right. So they'd be the one yes. that have like all the, re- yeah. And they're- yeah. Yeah. They noted back saying, yes, we do know the Sanfords. We've been there on multiple calls. They turned over the reports, filled them in on everything. They did confirm that Eliza was, in fact, fearful of her husband. Okay. Eliza's friend uh, notes how malicious Sanford was to Eliza and how you have to, and how she would say stuff along the lines of, you have no idea what he's capable of. Oh, what Like, okay. I feel like if you said that to me, I would be like, I'm going to kidnap you. (laughs) You shouldn't be in that situation. Like, that would just be the scariest thing to hear. And then to, like, be be Elisa's friend, like, reflecting back on that, like, that's heavy. That's very heavy. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, He would say stuff to her, like, how he wanted to leave her penniless in the streets and take everything from her. Again, the why is the big question here, because people are still even like, yeah, sure, couples fight but from from all all accounts eliza even within this marriage didn't deserve that treatment she she didn't do something that would spark this kind of rage at least nothing that i could find where i'd be like okay maybe i see why he's going off on the deep end and there there might not be a why in terms of like not that anyone no one deserves this kind of treatment but a lot of people also don't don't do anything to instigate this kind mm-hmm. of behavior from their partners sometimes their partners just are that way yeah they've been able to i guess 
conceal it enough in the beginning yeah. that you didn't think it was going to blow up and be a big deal. But now exactly. over the long years that you've been married, like it's so, sometimes it's just you're married to a very prideful, violent man yeah. um, or partner, of course. But like in her situation, a man and then her standing up for herself and walking away can be that instigator for like this part again that pride in this person who's going to be like you're going to walk away from me like right i'm going to do something about this yeah. um you know like, what i mean I'm it's just like you. she could have yeah. been just the like a normal uh, kind wife to him and he still could be this yeah. raging violent person because that's just who he is it you know what i mean like sometimes there just is way. no like, event that's going to explain it yeah yeah so now, during the civil suit, there there was one deposition that confirmed a lot of things for the family and what they thought about Sanford. Because okay. right now they're already thinking this guy is clearly now apparently capable of murder. Again, they haven't – they hadn't named him a person of interest for whatever reason. They didn't really say. But at the time, he wasn't technically being looked at. Because I, okay. I, they didn't talk about what cleared him, if anything, but there's a, there was a reason. There must be a reason why he wasn't being looked at. You know what I mean? Like, there had to be something because, again, yeah. they didn't really touch on it. You but. would hope so. You would hope it's not just laziness or something. Like, because I feel like if you were, like, in this situation... There's two things my mind would jump to immediately. It would be, is it a random attack? Okay, she wasn't robbed. That seems weird. Is it? A, is it the husband? She's in the middle of a divorce. Like, I'm sorry, the stereotype is true. The it's oftentimes true. the husband. Yes. Or the partner or whatever. Someone close to home, someone related to you, someone yeah. that you have a personal connection with. And then if you go and you're like, everything you looked into says this 100% could not be this dude. Okay, then look at other people. But like, all of this history of her talking to her friends and the police reports and like that to me would make him very suspicious. I, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking they didn't really explicitly say it, but because they talked about um, the video footage and how they have the footage of the actual murder taking place. Yeah. I'm, my assumption as to why they're maybe not making him a person of interest right off the get go mm -hmm. Um is because I don't think he matches the height and body type that you do see. Fair, but like it wouldn't be out of character for someone to do like a murder for hire I in, know. A, in a divorce settlement. You it, know what I mean? It's like not. especially it's not the when money is a factor. Exactly. Especially when there's a secret two million dollars. You could afford a yeah, murder. You yeah, really could. Absolutely. So I, that doesn't really get discussed. They don't really obviously also to Sanford does not talk in the documentary. He denied speaking like they did well, contact him but yeah. anyway so i, I yeah <laughs> like my mind's already relatively made up i'm still giving all of these <laughs> yeah. i facts. feel like my mind is also made up here but at the same time like you don't know for yeah. sure we'll, we'll get to the end and uh, uh, yeah well uh, we're gonna get there me and becky are sitting here we're like i have a hunch like <laughs> everyone else is on the other end screaming like it's, it's the like, husband <laughs> and it's just like it very well could be, but again, I'll I'll wrap it up in a way where we'll get there. I don't know. We'll, yeah, we'll get yeah, there. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> so anyways, let's get back to the one deposition I was talking about. This confirmed a lot of the immediate suspicions that family was having about it being Sanford. Right. This is not going to make you think it's him any less. Okay. <laughs> okay. If anything, it's going to do the exact same thing. So get ready. So 
a man named Larry Shanker. I unfortunately missed what they said his occupation was, but it was something in the realm of like law enforcement, like policing, or just that he had some kind of in on that world. I missed what his occupation was, but okay. it was like of important note. And of course I didn't get it. But anyways, he's a friend of Sanford's. So he was questioned in the deposition and he was asked a question um, along the lines of, hang on, let me find the quote here. Did Sanford ask you anything to the effect of if one wanted to get away with murder, how would they do it? Larry, the, the friend, replies by saying, I'm not sure if those were the exact words, but he did say that. Okay. He confirms under oath that on numerous slash, and I'm going to quote here the word that he used, repetitive occasions, Sanford had asked Larry how to commit the perfect murder. And then he goes on to say, repeatedly, repeatedly, he asked me. Okay. Well, I know. Like... <laughs> I know. That's All right. I Larry is asked what his, what, what Larry's response was. Right. Because of what Larry does, it's, again, somehow related. I can't remember. I should have wrote that down. I should have went back. And then now I'm like seeing this. I'm like, why did I not write this down? But anyways, Larry lists off things like, okay, don't use a car because it can be seen. Don't use a gun because it can be heard. Don't use your regular street clothes because you could be recognized or evidence. Cover up your entire body, your face, your hands, everything. Okay. I think it was Sanford. I don't I mean, know, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just, I, I agree. I'm agreeing with you. I think that way. But again, I, I do also so... understand that, like, when it's technically unsolved, I mean, I of know course, we're all sitting here saying it's solved, but it's, I don't know. It's, I feel like in any case where, and this could, could be a, an unfortunate coincidence, but I feel like it's often not when you hear a case where someone's like, someone did a Google search on like how to dispose of a body or someone asked someone how to commit a murder and get away with, someone Googled how to, you know what I yeah. mean? Where you're like, and then someone close to them got murdered or abducted or whatever. And then you're like, it doesn't go like are a all of your piece? family members Googling this. Cause I'm not I'm on not. a daily basis. No. I literally am, have never, ever Googled that in my life. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even just out of curiosity. No. And, and again, yeah, the way that you just looked away to try and think if you've remembered. <laughs> I'm sort of like, have I done that? No. But like if someone like, that's what I mean. It yeah. would be the most unfortunate coincidence if someone one day was sitting around being like, I wonder like how you would get rid of a body if I ever had to. And you Google it and the next day, like your partner's murdered. That's a very unfortunate. That's an oopsie. Co yeah. For co coincidence sure. for that's... sure. But it usually doesn't happen that way. No. Someone's searching those, seeking out those answers for a reason. And especially when you're asking a friend multiple repetitively times. yeah multiple times yeah it's you, it's not looking good for stanford it really no. isn't but again keep in mind this happened in 2013 it's now 2023 this is the 10-year anniversary it is still marked as unsolved which is why i keep thinking in my head i want to live on the hope that the police have done their due diligence I'm saying that firmly because as if they're listening, I'm assuming that they've done that and that they've checked out an alibi, have either completely written him off or they're trying to get him. So I hope mm -hmm. that that due diligence is being done because it would blow my fucking mind to 10 years later have just even this information in front of us and it's still somehow not solved when, when we are sitting here saying it's him. 
You know what I mean? Like, if it's that obvious to everybody else, why isn't he been charged? Yeah, because, like... There, there's got to be something. Uh, yeah, it, it can't be as simple as, like, if me or you had the resources of the Cleveland police um, to, like, check phone records and bank accounts and things yeah. like that or whatever, and then you're like, oh, well, he called this person... And then there was an email sent here mm -hmm. and then, oh, yeah, he hired that person to kill her or he bought all of the clothes that we see worn in the video. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like something that obvious that it's like you would assume it would have been solved. You just then. assumed. Yeah. So it, either it's something where it is Stanford and he was just smarter than we're giving him credit for in, in planning this or yeah. it, it was somebody else. Yeah. It, it still feels like it's more likely Sanford, but... And it's... it's I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's only going to get more so that way for the next little bit. Like, everything I'm going to say is going to confirm it even more. Oh, there's more evidence. There is oh, more. Okay. I'm not okay. done. Oh, okay. I thought I thought we were, like, wrapping it up. No. I thought it was like, ah, and then that's where we are. No. Okay. There's more evidence. And this is what I mean by, like, with it being the 10-year anniversary... That's why I believe there's a good chance it actually might be somebody else or, like you said, he's smarter than we're giving him credit for and he just, I don't know, was like out of the country on the day so they've already been able to prove that it's not him. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know because those aren't the, like, details that have been released. Yeah. Maybe there's some holdback evidence that we don't know yet. Yeah, and that would be very smart of the police. Like, that would be great if but they're doing that. It's going to get worse for a second. Okay. Before it doesn't get better. Okay. So it's just going to get worse and stay there. So obviously at this point, this the family's starting to wonder if the meetup with Gregory was a setup the whole time. Mm-hmm. Why change the time so many times? Where was he? Because it's noted that he never ended up actually coming down to get Aliza and let her in. Yeah. See, I was wondering that. I'm like, the dude across the street ran out. Like, Why did Gregory, Gregory walk in in the middle of this Because or by something? the time like, she had texted him and he said, I'll, I'll be right down to get you, if he was there, he should have already been downstairs and likely prevented the murder from happening. Mm -hmm. Because the, the time stamp that it happens in between is 520 to 525. Hmm. So within a five-minute window, she's murdered. And, well, like, you should stabbed, be able, but you should be able later. to get down there in less than five minutes. Yeah. Like, so... Uh, Tiffany Tucker, who's a news anchor for Cleveland 19, she's in the documentary. Um, she had, like, obviously talked a lot with um, Elise's family and friends. And she decides to, with the news, take matters into her own hands. Okay. She just goes to Gregory Moore's house. Oh. Rings the doorbell and is like, I'm here. All right. And she's like, hey, so what's up? Because why'd you lie saying you were in the building when you when you actually weren't? Like, why'd <gasps> you do this? And his response is, no thank you, no comment. Oh. Okay. So, investigators have, in fact, proved through record of key card swiping in Gregory's building that he was, again, in fact, not in the building at all on the day of the murder, even when he had messaged Eliza off of his own phone that day confirming the meeting to be in the building and telling her he was inside of the building as well as I'll be down to get you. He was not in that building. He was not in the building at all that day. Okay. Okay. He was not there. Unless you're going to tell me some sort of information about why Gregory has a motive against her, I feel like that it 
it could be a Sanford and Gregory work. Maybe someone's paying someone money. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Where it's like, just tell her you're there and you're not. Like, unless her lawyer had some sort of personal motive against her, so which the, I, I don't know. I'll get to the lawyer in literally one second. Yeah. Um, because there's, it kind of sounds like he's a sack of shit for other reasons. Okay. But so even just this one reason alone, you're probably right. a massive sack, sack of shit. shit. Just a big, <laughs> just a really large, large yeah, yeah. sack of shit. Yeah. Like one that has like yeah. a hole in it. That's like, like leaving a trail all, everywhere that you go. Like yeah. you're just, you There's always just smell like shit. Oozing. It's, it's just always, oozing. you can't contain it. You're yeah. just like an oozing pustule of shit. <laughs> so <laughs> that's such a, oh, it's such a good word. It's so gross. I know pustule is like it's one so of my gross. favorite words. It really is. Cause it really drives it home. Cause you immediately picture like just. Bubbles of shit and pus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I don't even know why I put this in here because we're all thinking this, but a lot of Elise's friends and family at this point are speculating that the only way this makes sense to them is that it must have been her husband that did it and that Gregory was somehow complicit and just helped. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I, that's yeah. exactly where my mind went. Yeah, that's why I was like, I don't even need to say it, but I'm gonna because I wrote it down. Mm -hmm. So... Now we're into January 2016. The investigation is still ongoing. Why? I'm not sure exactly. It should be wrapped up because it seems obvious. But maybe, again, I want to give the police some benefit of the doubt and say maybe there's a reason why it's not. Anyways. Okay. So Gregory Moore was actually indicted on a full range of offenses. Some related to and some unrelated. Oh, okay. Lying to police because he was indicted on that being like you literally lied to us and then we proved that you weren't in the building mm -hmm. um and a year earlier for <laughs> get this is what i mean by he's a big fucking bag of shit a year earlier for calling in bomb threats to the courthouse on days of specific cases that he said he was just unprepared for <gasps> he literally called in bomb threats to an entire courthouse just because he didn't want to go to work he didn't want to do his job can you imagine Colin sick Colin sick. Can, Move the appointment. Can you imagine? I was like, in a, I'm like tomorrow, like I don't want to go into work, and I call in a bomb threat. If I called in just a like bomb the entire threat building to the yarn shop, like imagine <laughs> that. Just hey, I can't make it in. Um, there's gonna be a bomb in the store today. Not only are you disrupting the lives of so many people, you're pulling away police resources from people that might actually yeah. need them for maybe legitimately like for hours and hours like the yeah. time that it would take to clear that building oh hours you're so you're you're a psychopath and especially you're too, a psychopath yes. yeah at, at the very least a sociopath yeah but you have to be like some level of unhinged oh to get gosh. to that spot wow because also too like that's that's also fucking risky and also really not fair to people's trials because what happened was is they probably went in and had to question everybody in and out of that building. And it's a courthouse. There are likely criminals on trial of there. Course. And now, they, like, unfortunately, they might not get a fair trial because they're going to all of a sudden be looked at as, okay, you, mister with all the guns or whatever, did you call, are you the bomb person? Like, it all of a sudden becomes like a finger point. It's a whole different case in its own. I have so many questions. Like, how, like how many times? How many times did he call in sick this way? It, it said it. <laughs> did he call in sick? <laughs> It said threats, plural. I don't know oh how many. Oh, my gosh. Like, you... Uh, is, he, is he... Please tell me he's, like, disbarred? At, yes. Okay. I no longer... He's no longer practicing on the last 
article I had read. I think, yeah, I think he's obviously cut, but... He's cut. He's been fucking... He's, he's canceled. Been canceled. Yeah. We're canceling it. <laughs> if he wasn't canceled before, he's fucking canceled now. Yeah. Holy so, shit, Gregory. Yeah. But a year and a half later, because this is how long these fucking things take, but Gregory... Gregory. <laughs> I'm out. You know what? No. You know what? Fuck him. His name's Gregory. Fuck the Greg. Gregory. Um, he he actually pled guilty to the one count of falsification. So he he admitted to that. The, he said he lied. The bomb threat thing. No, for for, or the for falsification. Lying to the yeah. Oh, okay. And then Gregory, um, he was sentenced to six months in county jail. Okay. The investigators were hopeful that okay, we've got him behind doors. He was prosecuted and sentenced, all of that. He might actually end up helping with the case because the, I think the way they saw it was is if we essentially let him get off easy, he might talk. Yeah, because like because, hypothetically, let's let's talk about a hypothet- hypothetical yes, situation where he's, he didn't murder anyone um, and like say he knows something but he's a little bit scared, so, like, his only crime is, like, lying to the police? Yeah. Okay, then I, I agree. He should get a lighter sentence in yeah. the hopes of maybe getting him to cooperate. Yeah. I agree with that strategy. Yes. So that was the hope. But every time investigators went in to talk to him, he would refuse their visit and deny speaking to anyone. And see, that makes me think that he has a, more involvement yeah. than... It, it, it yeah. makes me believe that as well, but it also, to me is very lawyer speak. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So it's yeah, like, definitely. okay, for me, I, I agree. I'm like, that's fucking damning. You basically are telling me you're guilty in yeah, more wor- ways than not. Absolutely. Um, But again, it could also just be like a lawyer tactic of like, I'm just going to protect myself by not saying anything at all. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes your silences are louder than words. So. Mm-hmm. And you've already been charged with like the crime of lying to the police. So like as long as what you're saying isn't more incriminating than, than that, then you like kind of have no reason to not speak. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a lawyer would know better than anyone, I guess, what you can say that's mm-hmm. not going to incriminate you. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine. Or at least a, a deal good one, you could though. make. Yeah, true. I don't know. I can't imagine he was a very good one if he's lying all the time and calling in bomb threats. Because like, he's unprepared. Like, again, yeah. how many times? How many times were you that unprepared yeah. for your job? I, you know what? Here's the thing is the the times that I've actually heard of that being a thing where someone calls in a bomb threat, it's usually, like, students trying to pass, like, their bar exam or, like, some type of, like, the SATs or something. Like, I've heard of that happening with students. And see, to me, that makes more sense. If I hear about a student, no matter what age calling on a bomb threat to get out of an exam i my brain goes to that makes more sense than a full-blown adult who's been yeah, a because lawyer you're for a student and you're like you're panicking. immature like no matter and, what and you're just immature like yeah. it's, it's a very childish thing to do yeah. um so like you no, you wouldn't expect that from like a professional exactly. practicing lawyer so <laughs> i know in august of 2016 i know we're going back a little bit but we had to get gregory's story out there right so in 2016 Sanford actually pays $110,000 to settle the civil lawsuit against him filed by his daughter. The agreement is that it releases him from future claims, basically about money relation to Eliza, um, unless he is charged in connection with Eliza's murder. So they came to that agreement. He paid the fine settled the whole case but 
my understanding is that obviously if if they are able to charge him in connection with the murder, obviously that money is like done for. He has to like whatever restitution or whatever it's called. Yeah, like re- pay, pay it again, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he can also then be opened up to new claims against him, right? Financially, okay. So, Ed Tumba, who's the the chief um, of the Cleveland PD, I believe he's retired now, but he he's he's still extremely optimistic that they'll be able to find answers. They have a, currently a reward of a hundred thousand dollars for information leading to the arrest and conviction of Elisa's murderer. Wow. Um, Ed, at the time of the documentary, is noted as wanting the Bureau of Criminal Investigation for the Office of the Ohio Attorney General. I think it's like the BCI or something, and it's like their main, like, investigative college, if you will, yeah. um, to take over the case. But since Ed Toomba um, wasn't directly involved with the Cleveland PD, like he wasn't working, he's retired, he actually doesn't have, like, the rights to, like, invite them to do it. So they have to either ask or be invited by somebody on, like, the, the current force. But I'm, right. I'm getting there. Okay. Um, where did I go to? Uh, where did that go? Oh, no. Okay. Here. I just got moved to a different spot. But um, in a newer update, I think it was... When did this... 20, in the summer of 2021, so just two years ago. Two, Yeah, two years ago, right? One year ago. Like a year and a half-ish to two years ago. The BCI, the Bureau of Criminal Investigation, um, had began their review of the case. So they are now officially, as of like a more recent update, on the case. Okay. So far, they have no public updates on any new findings, Mm -hmm. but they are officially on the case. And it's only been like, like we said, like a year and a half, almost A little over a year and a half, yeah. They're probably reviewing all of the, like the initial stuff and then going to start doing basically like a re-examination okay well that's hopeful because like we said i mean obviously th- yeah this must be more complicated than it's appearing yeah to us and, and then there's lots of stuff we thing. don't know exactly. so but if this is like another agency that maybe has more resources or, or more experience or whatever um that that is hopeful especially if the former chief is hopeful that it can be solved yeah I feel like he's, he's, he said he's very hopeful. I feel like over a long career, you probably have seen cases where you're sort of like, you shouldn't obviously judge anything hopeless, but like you, you've probably seen cases where you're like, that's going to be really tricky yeah. to solve. Whereas like these ones, like that's possible. Feel a little it's little very possible. Likely. There's enough there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like there's enough. I feel like there's enough here, but again, like that's why I keep being like, okay, it's been 10 years and they, they haven't yet charged and nailed his ass to the wall. Yeah. He must have something yeah. that gives them enough benefit of the debt like or sorry what's the phrasing gives them enough of like a shadow of a doubt that like mm-hmm. he couldn't have done it mm-hmm. otherwise he would have been fucking charged ages ago yeah but maybe they just don't have enough evidence <sighs> like hard evidence like yeah. if it's like you have like accounts from her friends saying she was afraid of him and then there's, there's like police the police record- reports yeah. but if you don't have any hard evidence if you don't have phone records if you don't have dna if you don't have like purchases like like a jury might uh, not it's hard yeah to to convict someone so a lot of police departments i understand why where they're like we won't make the, the arrest until we know for sure that we can convict them 
in a court of law and yeah because it's not worth it otherwise and then they'll be tipped off that we are onto them and then like they might do something else exactly and again if you have someone like gregory he's not gonna and who's not talking no and you can't use them against this person so you don't have anyone corroborating a story like you know what i mean that's that's that is hard it's hard even though there's a lot of, like, circumstantial evidence that feels yeah. like it's damning enough. I know. Because, like, well, when you, like, read about this case, you're like, it feels so obvious. Like, yeah, it just feels... It does. But again, like, for me, I get stuck on the, it's been 10 years. There's got to be more to it. Like... Yeah. I, if it comes yeah. out one day that it's like, I'm oh, the police update. just, like, botched this case. And, like, they yeah. didn't look into this. Yeah. And they missed that. And they would... Okay. Then this is, a, unfortunately, another story of, like, complete incompetence. But Which, and it happens. It happens. It happens But we don't, all, we don't have proof of that either. So, yeah. like you said, we have to sort of uh, give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they have done their jobs. And now the next step in that is is referring it on to the... The BCI. You said the BC, BCI. BCI? Yeah. yeah. Um, so hopefully they can they can dig up something else because I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm hopeful it will get closed. Yeah. I, I'm hopeful. I feel like there's enough here. It's recent enough. It's it has enough of like a presence in the community that people are like we need we need answers. Yeah. Um. I just so I just want to end on like a note here. Um, so first, Elisa's friends and family all note how basically their entire life purpose now is to help aid in any way of finding and bringing justice to Elisa's murderer. Um, her friend Jan comments that she just wants Elisa to be remembered and to be remembered for the wonderful human being she was. So I wanted to like cap it off there. Yeah. Um, I know the day this is coming out is wednesday march 22nd so if you're listening on the day of this coming out and you're in the cleveland area um friday march 24th uh is marking the 10-year anniversary of elisa's murder family friends and community supporters are noted as gathering there annually like every year at 75 eerie view plaza where her lawyer's building was and where the murder took place at 5 p.m for their like annual vigil to honor Elisa and also show that they're still looking for answers so if you're familiar with the case and you live in and around the area and you want to show your support that would be lovely if you showed up and helped out in any way absolutely I'm sure the family would appreciate it yeah and then of course I'm gonna add this in anyone with information about Elisa's case is asked to call Crime Stoppers of and I'm gonna say this wrong Cuyahoga County C-U-Y-A H-O-G-A. How do you say that? Cuyahoga? Yeah, Cuyahoga. Yeah. I meant to show it to you beforehand. We're saying it wrong. We're saying it wrong. We're saying it wrong. I'm going to write it out in the show notes as well. (laughs) Um, But the phone number for that is 216-252-7463. So yeah, that'll be in the show notes if you need that phone number. Or, and we'll all add in the address for the the vigil as well. But that is Elisa's case. All right. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful there's I'm going to be. I'm very hopeful. Some kind of Absolutely. conclusion. She we're gonna, deserves. Yeah, answers. we're going to get updates, I think, for this case for sure. I think so. Especially th- in the next, like, year or two while the BCI, BCI has yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So on that note, uh, sign up to be super cool and join our cult of extremely awesome people who love true crime at www.patreon.com slash how to not get killed.
And if you ever want to chat and connect with us, you can send us an email to howtonotgetkilled at gmail.com. Or you can DM us or comment on our posts on Instagram at howtonotgetkilled. And you can follow us on Twitter at h2ngk. And you can also check out our website and shop our merch at www.howtonotgetkilled.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Keep it sleazy. See ya. Bye.